0: Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 is the section we're going to try to unpack tonight. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Because of where I know we're going to end up, or hope to end up tonight, and because we don't meet again till the end of January, I'm going to do my best, by the Lord's grace, to get this section finished. Because there's something I want to get to in the middle, uh, at the, by the end of tonight's study, but I don't want to run over the other stuff and skip it as well. So I'm going to ask you to bear with me in two ways tonight. One, you know I talk fast. I'm going to turn it up a notch. Two... We're going to do our best to let you out of here by 8, but it may be 8.05, all right? Because there's so much, so much that I want you to see tonight from this section, especially in the last verses that we just read. So let's jump right into it. Last time when we met, we looked at how Paul prayed for the believers in Colossae to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Tonight, we're going to look at why. Why did Paul pray for them to be filled with the knowledge of his will? Verse 10, by the way, tells us why. Look at what verse 10 says. It says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. God not only wants us to know His will, He wants us to know His will so that we will, according to this verse here, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord so that will be fully pleasing to him and that will be bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God's will. All right. So that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. But let's deal with this word walk. The Bible says that he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The Bible actually describes the Christian life many times as a walk. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to take you through a bunch of scriptures that show that. And I want you to focus on a couple of things. One, look at how it talks about the Christian life being a walk, but I'm also going to ask you, for those people, especially those who have taken notes, to make a couple of notes that real quick, about each of these passages, some things that jump off the page about them to you, because in a little bit I'm going to be asking you some questions pertaining to these verses. Are you with me? All right, so let's go to Psalm chapter one. Psalm chapter one, verses one through six. I want you to notice how the Christian life is described as a walk. In Psalm chapter 1 verses 1 through 6, listen to what the psalmist says here. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that He does He prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now we're going to come back to this passage a little later on, so if you have an extra bookmark put it there. But you just hear it's actually in a in a negative sense. Said, blessed the one who doesn't walk in what ways? In the way the wicked do, listening to the wicked. All right. But at the same time, you see that there is a walk for us. It's not in the way that the wicked walk. All right. Go to Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four, verses one through three. Paul, writing from prison, says, "I therefore, a prisoner." For the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now here again we see him using the term walk. I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Then he also gives us some specifics of what it's going to look like. And what are those? Humility, Humility, gentleness, patience, and all that. All right. Move on. Go to Colossians. You're in Ephesians. Jump over two books to Colossians chapter two. Now I can say this is a passage we will deal with next year and hopefully you won't laugh. All right. Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right. Keep that one in mind. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12, Paul says it this way. He says, You are witnesses and God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to what? To walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Again you'll see Paul saying this over and over and over in all of his letters to the people he wrote to. Now we also go back to Philippians, just back up a couple of books to Philippians and look at chapter 1 verses 27 and 28 and you'll not see the term walk here but you'll see it be described as a manner of life. That may help you with this term walk, trying to walk in a manner worthy of Christ might throw some of you off. But you'll notice Paul say the exact same thing but here he doesn't use the word walk. He calls it a manner of life. Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 and 28. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So, so far, we have already seen that the Bible says that Paul, he prayed that we would know the knowledge of God's will or come to a knowledge of God's will so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It is our way of life, how we live every single day. But also, I've started to realize the Bible doesn't always use the term walk. Does anybody know what the Bible also uses? Lives. Lives. Any ideas, other ones? Run. I'm going to show you a bunch of verses now that use the term run. It's not just a walk. It's also a race, which is going to lead us to something tonight when we get into a discussion in a little bit here. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. And let's take a look at all the times the Bible talks about this manner of life or this walk also being a run. In Hebrews chapter 12, look at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, the Hebrew writer says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, here we see now it's not just a walk, it's also a run. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. Some of you are probably starting to wear out and you're just writing the verses down for later study. And that's fine, too. That's OK. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. Some of you have been sitting there saying, I can understand this Christian life being a walk, but when Jim preaches, it's a run. All right. First Corinthians 9 verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Here, Paul again, using the term of the Christian life being a race, says when there's a race in the secular world, if you will, all the athletes compete to win a prize. You need to run like you're the only one that's going to get the prize. We know there's more than one prize, right? Hopefully you don't feel like there's only one. Unfortunately, Jehovah's Witnesses teach that only the first 144,000 are allowed to go to heaven. The rest have to live on the earth. That's not what the Bible teaches, folks. The 144,000 is a totally different thing, and that's another study for another time. But the Bible is very, very clear that all who are in Christ Jesus are guaranteed a place with God in heaven, and we become joint heirs with Christ But Paul says, even though there's many prizes, we should be running as if there were only one. How did Joshua say it? Choose for yourself who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're we're not looking around at what's going on around us. We're not comparing how we're doing with everybody else. We don't say, Lord, I think I'm doing pretty good because I'm doing better than Joe or Bobby or Sue. I am running as if I was the only one. And that's how we're to run our Christian life. All right, let's go to Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two, verses one and two. Paul says this. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Now, what humility we have here. A lot of people may not really catch what's really going on here. But Paul, who had been knocked off his horse by the Lord Jesus Christ, blinded by the light of Christ, was then led out, if you read Galatians, you'll see that he was led out by the Spirit into the desert of Arabia to have Jesus teach him face to face for three years. And then when he came back from that time period, he began preaching the gospel But he humbled himself and went and met those who were the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And he just wanted, he shared with them privately the gospel that he had been preaching just to make sure that what he was preaching was the truth. What a humility that he had there. At the same time, look at how he says it again. Did you already catch that he's already made this kind of a statement? I don't want to be found to have run in vain. We're going to get back to that in a little bit. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? Hopefully you've heard from me enough. That's not at all what he's teaching. If anybody taught that your salvation was secure once you trusted in Christ and he gave you his spirit, it was Paul. But there must be something else here that makes him say, I want to make sure that I'm not disqualified for the prize or that I hadn't run in vain. Go to Galatians chapter 5. You're in Galatians 2. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth. Remember, he's dealing with the Galatian church where they had been taught that salvation was by faith alone, by God's grace. But these people had come into that church and said, no, no you've got to be circumcised too, and you got to do all these other things in order to be pleasing to God. And he says, you were running good. Who cut in on you? Who, who knocked you off this race? Who knocked you off the path? Who put a detour sign up on your route? Go to Philippians chapter 2. Turn two books over to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Again, Paul now ties their response to his work. Again, hopefully you're making little notes here because we're going to start talking about this in just a second. One more. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 6 through 8. At the very end of Paul's life, the last written thing we have is the book of 2 Timothy from Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, look at what he says. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All right, here's where our discussion starts. What can we learn from these terms, walk and run, or manner of life? What are some things about the Christian life that what we've just looked at in all these scriptures, some of these little things you've made notes about? What are some things we can learn from these terms, walk and run? It's ongoing. ongoing. It shouldn't stop, right? Now, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. As I travel around and I deal with people, and sadly enough, I deal with this mostly in the older generation in a lot of our churches. They have an attitude of, I'm done. It's time for somebody else to do things. You You ever heard people say that? I have worked hard. Now it's time for the younger people. I'm not saying the younger people shouldn't be involved in doing whatever God's called them to do and gifted them to do. But if you go back and you look and you can write this down, and look at it later on. You'll see in Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Well, Paul's preaching and he's talking about the fact that the prophecy in Psalm was not talking about David, but talking about Jesus. And he was taking the prophecy that said, you won't let your Holy One see decay. In clarifying that passage, He said, when David had finished or accomplished God's purpose in his generation, he died and his body decayed. In other words, that prophecy wasn't talking about David. It was talking about the one who didn't see decay. Jesus definitely died. But did his body see decay? No. Three days later, he rose from the dead and lives evermore. He never saw decay. But listen to what Paul said. And let me say it to you again. When David had accomplished God's purpose in his generation, that's when he died. Do me a favor, take a deep breath. If you were able to do that, God's not done with you. You know how you'll know when God's done with you? When you can't do that. Not with these lungs. So like you said, Steve, one of the things we see is the Christian life is ongoing. Do not think that you'll get to a certain point and you've arrived. That's why Paul continually, most of us in the Christian life today would have said, Paul, you've been used of God. You've worked hard. Why don't you just retire? Why don't you go and get a a retirement village? Now, don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with moving to a retirement village. As long as you understand that the reason God's probably moving you to that retirement village is there's some more stuff he wants to do through you in that village. The Bible actually says in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and following, that he determines the exact time we would be born and the exact places we would live. He controls where we go and what we do. So one of the things we know about this walk, this life, this run, is that it's ongoing. What's the, some other things that you can get from this term? Sometimes. Okay. And That's true. Where do you get that from in some of these passages? That's true. And 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 we did see that. Walk your daily life in humility and gentleness. And Patience, routine, bearing with one another. Very good. Very good. Did you catch that? <clears throat> we all, a lot of times we think that when we're washing the dishes, dishes or changing our kids' diaper, that we're man. I wish I could do ministry. <clears throat> Years ago, I was my wife and I were in a, another part of the world, which I can't say since we're recording. And we were meeting with people who had given their lives to leave their home country and go to another country to go bring the gospel to people from there. And as my wife and I were meeting with this young couple and this, they had a couple small children, the, the, the wife was lamenting to us that even though she had felt called to go to this foreign country to share the gospel... She had all these dreams and aspirations of sharing the gospel with the people of that nation. But she hadn't gotten to do that very much because she had two young kids and all she did was change diapers and wipe noses. And as I was leading, uh, speaking with her, God led me to kind of just ask her this question. I said, wouldn't it be cool if God would take two people from this nation and have them just come live in your house 24 hours a day? She goes, oh, that'd be awesome. I said, isn't that sad? God has already taken two people and have them moved into your house, and you're not even seeing that because they don't have the color skin that you thought you were gonna go reach. Folks, there's a tendency for us to lose sight of the fact that this running the race, this walk of life, this manner of life, of walking with Jesus, sometimes there are times when it looks like, we're not doing anything! David was anointed the next king of Israel by Samuel. Does anybody know what happened to David? Does anybody know how many years between the anointing and when he became king? 15 years later he becomes king. What happened after he had the oil put on his head? He just went back out to the sheep. He had to keep being a shepherd for a while. Then he goes to work for Saul and then he fights Goliath and then Saul tries to kill him and he spends a lot of time just hiding for his life. And Satan is out there just trying to mess with us and I'm gonna keep from trying to preach this too much because it's a message I'm developing for another day. But we have been sold a bill of goods here in America, folks, because we have been taught to strive for bigger and better and greater things. And many of us have missed out on what it means to really live with Jesus and walk the walk with Jesus because we've been told to go bigger, better, higher, far more. What did John say when they came to him and said, are you the Christ? He said, a man can only receive what he's been given from above. He must increase. I must. What? Decrease. In the parable of the talents, he gave one five, another two, and another just one, each according to their ability. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Let each of you think of yourself not more highly than you ought, but each with sober judgments in accordance with a measure of faith that we've been given. If your gift is this, do that. If it's this, do that. And I'm going to tell you, you want to be set free in your walk from Jesus uh, with Jesus Christ? You want to be set free? Stop Fallen prey to all this false Americanized Christianity preaching of bigger and better and more and farther. And you just understand that I'm to walk with Jesus and whatever he has for me is best. And folks, the Bible says the first will become last. last. The ones we call last will become first in eternity. That's why he uses these terms walk and run. It's a process. It's a process. And there are going to be days that it looks like you're doing nothing. Oh, but God is there, and He's molding you and He's shaping you for not this life as much as the one to come. And it's all about obedience. It is all about obedience. It's all about obedience. Yes. What else do you know? We're heading for a glorious goal. We're heading for a glorious goal. I'm going I'm I'm to take what you just said and twist it just a little bit. When is the race over? When you die, when you pass them this, le- the race not over till we get to that point. Paul said, I finished the race. I fought the fight. I know now. Remember earlier in Philippians 1, when we did our study of Philippians, he was wrestling with whether or not he was going to die in that prison. But then he came to realize that he wasn't. and He was going to stay in the body and help them in their progress in the faith. In this prisonment in Rome, when he writes this one here, his second imprisonment in Rome, he realizes, I'm not getting out of this one. This is it. I saw a hand over here as well. Go ahead, Rick. I'm sorry? Sure, there's a commitment. There is a huge commitment. Didn't Jesus say that? He said, hey, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up your cross daily and follow me. And not only that, he said, hey, take seriously what's about to be asked of you to follow me. We need to take it serious. You can run in vain. You can run in vain. And we come back to that real quick. Hang on to that one. Go ahead, Jim. Would you comment on First? Corinthians? Yes. That, that sounds like we got to really really produce.: It definitely does. And at the same time, remember, in the story that or Jesus, Jesus told in the parable of the talents, the one who had the five turned into 10 was told the exact same thing as the one who had the two turned into four. Well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. So we have to use the whole of Scripture, as you know. We need to use the whole of Scripture to interpret a passage of Scripture. Yes, we can take this verse and it looks like we've got to really produce or else. But actually, if you use the whole of Scripture, you've got to find out, are you living out the life that God has for you? And how are you going to know that, by the way? How's anybody going to know whether or not you're living out the life that God has for you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, <laughs> Exactly. There's going to be a peace. There's going to be an understanding that this is the life that God has for me. That's why John the Baptist could look at him and say, hey, no, no, man can only receive what he's been given from above. That's his role. This is my role. Remember, John the Baptist was having a bad day when he's sitting in prison in Matthew chapter 11. And he sends word to Jesus through his disciples and says, hey, ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus pretty much just tells him, go tell John. Everything is right on schedule. Then he makes this statement. He says, blessed are those who don't fall away on account of me. In other words, blessed are those who don't fall away on account of how I run my world. Because we have a tendency sometimes to think, I want to be doing this, and I want to be doing this for the Lord, and I want to be doing this for the Lord. And He, for His purposes, puts us on a totally different track, and we think we're being not used. We feel like we're being pushed away by God, and everything can be right on schedule. So you understand, to take this passage and make it say that you need to be producing, 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 can't match up with the whole of Scripture. Because as we see, there were long periods of time, not only David, but also uh, Joseph was told by God in the vision, your family's all going to bow down to you. By the way, it was over 20 years later that that actually came true. What happened to Joseph from the moment he had the vision until he actually had his family bow down to him? Does anybody know? He was beat up by his brothers, thrown into a well. He then was sold as a slave. He actually did the right thing and didn't have sex with that lady. And he was accused of rape falsely thrown in the dungeon, but each, in each place, God prospered what he was doing. Abraham was told, you're going to be a mighty nation. Twenty-five years later, Isaac is born. He's in that process of shaping. So here's what I want to throw out to you. What is God's purpose for us? And you're going to see that in a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to give you a little commercial for we're going, and i got to pick it up a little bit here. His purpose is not only that we produce fruit, but also that we be what? conformed into his image do you see where I'm going Jim if it's we get focused on the measurable results thinking lives turned over to Jesus Christ people saved and all that kind of stuff and thank God for that but if I'm letting Jesus conform me into his image I will be rewarded for that because what is the evidence you just listed it what is the evidence of his spirit within me? Love, joy, love, joy, love, 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 joy patience, peace, peace story, gentleness. gentleness Did anybody hear salvations? No. The, results are his business. the results are his business. He's trying to do a work in each of us. So when we see this passage about how he wants to just take seriously what it means to walk for Christ, don't worry about measurable results. If, you're, if, you're, if your spiritual gift that he's put on your heart is to give to the work of, of the ministry, give. If it's to serve, serve. If it's to teach, teach. If it's to lead, lead. If it's to pray, be an intercessor and stop falling prey to this mindset of measurable results. Because I could spend most of my time preaching from people's names in the Bible. For example, we, we look at Samuel. And don't we thank God for Samuel, the prophet Samuel? Does anybody know why we have a prophet Samuel? Because Hannah was on her knees. Because there was a mama. That's right. Because there was a mama who begged God for a son and said, if you give me this, I will give him to you. And it was Hannah, is why we have a Samuel. It's Jacobed. A lot of people might not even know that. Jacobed is because of why we ha- that's why we have a Moses. What about all those people that we don't study? because their names only mentioned once or twice or here. But most of these people we study about, they come about because of someone that we would think didn't accomplish much. So we have to be real careful that we don't let the one passage pressure us into ignoring the rest of Scripture. Is Jesus doing in his life, and sorry, in your life what he's wanting to do? Let what it's supposed to look like take care of itself. Those of you that were in Men in Motion last Tuesday, you know I preached on this a little bit. In the sense that Paul said in Romans 15, I make it my goal to preach where the gospel hasn't been heard yet. I don't want to build on the foundation of somebody else. If you remember in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Others are building upon it. Remember the church was fighting over "I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. And I'll get right to you, John. And uh, what what he said was this. He says, look, my goal is to go and preach the gospel where people haven't heard it and lay the foundation. There are other people that are going to come and build on that foundation. They're going to be the pastors, the teachers, the disciples. I'm an evangelist. Folks, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not an evangelist. And it's one of the hardest things I deal with in this traveling ministry is trying to convince people that even though I live the life of an evangelist in the sense that most evangelists travel around preaching the gospel, I travel around, but my heart is not to see people come to know Christ. I hate to say that to you because you guys look bad at me now. I don't weep for the lost. I love to see people get saved. I love to see people come to know the Lord. But my heart's passion is to see Christians wake up to the truth of the word of God. My heart is to work where the foundation's already been laid and not already laid. I actually, I don't want to work with new believers as much as I want to work with longtime believers and to challenge them to stir up what God has already begun in their hearts and their lives. That's where my passion is. There are some that want to work with new believers. There are some that want to go preach where they've never heard. There are some that want to go to different parts of the world. We've all been wired differently. And some of you just need to get to that point of not worrying about what everybody else said it should look like. And be who God's wired you to be. You had your hand up, John. Okay, you just said part of the answer to my question. We're all wired differently. Yes, we are. What's the biggest problem as ministry? Have in a church, is unmet expectations. You got it. How do you because Jim, I know your oratory skills, your study skills, but you're not a great guy at the hospital? No, I'm not. Okay. No, I'm not. You shared that with me, I don't yep. want everybody to think I'm picking on you. No, no, no. But Jim actually gave me one of the best experiences I had in accident where a, a guy that was a deacon for 20 years was near his deathbed, He lived for another six months, and couldn't come a prayer. And so you know, what I'm asking is, a lot of the scriptures you went over tonight talked about unity. How do we balance our personal walk, our understanding where God wants us to be, and all the distractions of everybody else right. saying it's gotta be right. this kind of music or? My short, my short answer to that, because they have heard me talk about that a lot, because as you know, it's a passion of my heart. My short answer to that is this. You're not going to. You're not going to stop all that stuff. Jesus had so many expectations. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, tell my sister to help me. Lord, tell my brother to share his inheritance with me. If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You're demon possessed because you don't do it the way we do it. Uh, he, he was, that will never, ever, ever go away. For each of us, we need to run with perseverance. How did the Hebrew writer put it in chapter 12? The race marked out for us. The answer is not in fixing the church. I've tried. I teach the truth, and I let it go from there. But I also know people are people. As I deal with church plants, because a lot of church plants start because they get tired of how things were in the last church, and they think, we're going to have a church where things are fresh and new, and we're going to do that. I tell them, within two years, you will be a traditional church. Because once the people come here, people are still people, and they like it the way it was. And if you try to do anything different even here, that's not what we wanted. The answer is that each of us, running the race marked out for us. You have to turn your blind eyes to that and do what it is that God's told you to do. It's a great question. trust in that process that God knows what's happening around you yes. and will sort out those details, even if it means that it's time to do something else? Yes. And give you the peace to do what he's called you to do in the face of all of Yep. I actually was dealing with a church in Michigan where there were some issues amongst the elders just recently and had to explain to them, that might be part of how God's saying, i got a new there for you and a new there for you. Well, part of running a race is you've got to follow a course. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're in motion. The question is, is how do you find the course? The course is the one that God puts in front of you. You got it. Well, Jim, the following up on the following of the course, you run a 5K or any race you have course guides along the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His Word, the Spirit, other believers who will come along the way. That's a great point. Evidently By the way, for those that were listening online, she held her Bible up. <laughs> <Evidently> <laughs> Wasn't Reader's Digest, and we're proud of Sue because she actually brought it tonight. Yes, Evidently. go ahead. But because of all of that going out there, that's why Paul Yes, it is a fight. That's a real good point. Did you catch that, John? Yeah. It's a fight. Yes, ma'am. Evidently, there are hindrances because he said you did run well. Mm-hmm. Who did hinder? Right. Truth. That's right. They're going to be those who try to cut in. Yeah. Boy, I didn't know I'd get you guys this far up. Usually, this is, I have to tell you everything. You're teaching me tonight. This is awesome. This is great. Hey, let me read to you real quick and then we'll get back on to where we're going here. We can learn What can we learn from these terms? And we've already said all these things. The Christian life is a journey. The Christian life is a process. There should be movement in a forward direction. <laughs> growth. There shouldn't be stagnation. And the race doesn't end until we go be with the Lord. Now, what does this walk, run, or manner of life look like? Go back to our passage in Colossians chapter 1. It's pleasing to the Lord. Look at what he says here in verse 10 again. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Folks, let me just tell you something. And I don't have time to get into this too much because of where I want to go tonight. But when you are striving to live your life according to what God has in mind for you. And I I say this to my kids as well who are here because they're all in that process, as we all are, God blesses those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Amen. When you don't let fear and worry creep in, and then you follow the fear and the worry, but you trust the Lord even when you don't know what your next step is, because you believe God will show you. The Bible promises in 2 Chronicles sixteen nine that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I want to find someone that's really trusting in me, and I want to show off on their behalf. And we have experienced it in our family, and I want you to, I believe many of you have as well, when you truly are trusting in a daily step, (laughs) the walk, and trusting him each day, not knowing what tomorrow will bring, but knowing that God will walk you through it. When you live in that manner, God does show off. And He blesses. Let me just put it to you this way: this, this is what's helped me a lot. Christmas time is hard for me. I want to give my kids everything. I know they're hearing it, but they're not getting everything. But I, I want to. We don't have the ability to. But what God has been showing me is my heart's desire is to give them everything they want. It is. Isn't that the way you are, you grandparents? Isn't it hard for you at Christmas because you have that wrestling match between you have the ability to bless them a little bit more, but you don't want to kind of interfere where mom and dad's presents don't look so good in comparison. And you you want to bless them. You want to give them. You want to give them whatever it is, even if it's expensive. What did Jesus say? If you who are evil. Know how to give good gifts. How much more. Does your heavenly father want to give? Folks, I'm telling you, I'm not going to become one of those health and wealth preachers, but I don't want you to be afraid of how generous God really is. When you really start to move into this understanding of what it means to walk with him and to trust him and to lean on him on a daily basis, you won't worry about whether or not you have. You will start to find yourself just giving, giving, giving. (laughs) (laughs) The bill on the credit card. <laughs> <laughs> that's another whole discussion for another time <laughs> all right in psalm chapter one i told you that we'd go back there go back to psalm one look again at what it says we already looked at the fact how he said don't walk in the way that the world does he makes some promises here folks that we can't just say well that you know i don't know that might be for somebody else not for me it's a promise for all In Psalm chapter 1, again, verses 1 through 6, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. There's times that you'll see it. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he what? Stop for a second. Take Joseph. He trusted the Lord, walked with the Lord, was beat up by his brothers. They were wanting to kill him. Right. What happened right before they killed him? God had one of the brothers stand up for him and say, hey, let's not do this. Let's pretend we did it. And they sold him. He goes to be a slave. What happened to him while he was a slave? God prospered him, even though it was a temporary time period, a time of shaping, God prospered him to the point that he actually rose above everybody else and became the right-hand man to Potiphar and his wife. Then he was accused of something he didn't do. Boom, into the dungeon. What happened while he was in the dungeon? God prospered him to the point that he became in charge in the dungeon. And in time, he became second in command of all Egypt. Go ahead. We may stumble and fall, but the good Lord... Us up and yes. Polishing us up and it up. He says, he said, if you will delight in his word and you put your mind on him and his truth and his word and you don't fall prey to all the other. Yeah, but well, I feel this way or whatever. But the, but the real thing. No. When you really believe everything God says, people say, Jim, you're just an optimist. You know why I'm an optimist? It's not because I've always been this way. I was raised to be pessimistic. But what's changed is I started to believe all these promises. And when you believe these promises, I mean you believe that he'll give you eternal life, right? Well, that's crazy. I mean, let's think about it for a second. You can tell me you're going to heaven because somebody you never saw, died on a cross, rose from the dead and promised you you'll go to heaven? Absolutely. And you believe it, and you should because it's true. How come you don't believe all this other stuff? I <laughs> do. Good. You do. It sounds like good comes from adversity. You know, definitely comes through diversity. Paul even said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and following, he says, I want to know you and the fellowship of sharing in your suffering. Because actually when, through the adversity is where we really get to know who God really is. Because you know what? All this other stuff we lean on is totally stripped away when you get into those situations. Well, and God constantly says in all, of the, all the scriptures where there's constant adversity and, and trial and tribulation, He always tells us the reason for it. Yeah. He said it. You would come to me. So that you would. To me. Yep. My arm hasn't been shortened. Yep, exactly. Yes, ma'am. Where is it in John where Jesus actually was praying on our behalf, and he said, "Blessed are the, the, the ones same. that will believe even though <laughs> they cannot see." Right. That's this. That's us in this yeah. room, and everyone. Yep. And I, to me, that's amazing that yep. he prayed that. Yeah. That was in John chapter 20, where John, uh, where uh, Thomas comes and sees him and touches his side and his hands said, blessed are you because you've seen, blessed are even more of those who have not seen and believed. But He's I right. think it's amazing too that our very belief, He gives us the power to believe it. Yeah. And we can't yeah. even accept some yep. kind of goodness because I believe, no, He gave me the ability to be able to do that. But You know what? Thank and then, then there's that hard part between His sovereignty and our free will where we have to say, Lord, I want to believe this. Right. right. I want to believe this to be true. Would you flip that switch in my heart? He will. Yeah. He will. All right, look at what he says again. The wicked, though, are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows what? The way, the way of the, way of the righteous, righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Folks, <laughs> I'm only righteous because of Jesus. And on a daily basis, I have to rely on him just as much. In the same, well, we saw it already in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. In The same way in which you receive Jesus as Lord, walk in him. It's a daily process. Now, th- okay, so why does, uh, what does this r- run or walk look like? It's pleasing to the Lord. Two, it bears fruit. Let me just remind you of this. We're not going to take the time to turn there because I want to wrap up with where I think we'll have time to get, and I can't wait. Um, it bears fruit. Uh, th- listen closely. In John chapter 15, verse 6, and John 15, verses 16 and 17, especially for those that were on the cruise, we already talked about this. The Bible's very clear. Jesus said this is God's purpose, is that He would produce fruit through us. Now again, we have been taught that fruit means salvations. That's one aspect of fruit. There's a whole lot of fruit. But fruit is also the fact that he's made a change in your life that would have someone else say, I believe that this guy must be real, that God is real because of the change in our lives. You may never see someone come to salvation. You may not actually ever pray with them as they pray the prayer to trust Christ. But Is there evidence in your life that you are relying on God and God is supernaturally doing a work in your life? That's the fruit that we're talking about. And God said, this is to my father's glory. This is important. Don't miss this part. This is to my father's glory that you produce fruit. All right. Now. In Ephesians chapter 2, we all could quote verses 8 and 9. Hopefully somebody in here can tell me what verse 10 says. I'll give you 8 and 9. 8 and 9 says that you have been saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, So, not of works, so no one can boast. What's verse 10 say? Does anybody know? For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he didn't just save us. The reason we're still here, as we've already talked about, is he wants to do something through us. And now each of us have to let the Lord show us what that is. We've got to stop letting the church tell you what that is. Stop when the f- nominating, we have caller call waiting. I mean, caller ID on our phone now, right? I wish there was some way that you could see it says nominating committee is calling. <laughs> and you could say, you know, I'm not going to answer that. Because you know what? The Lord has a purpose for each of you. You don't need the nominating committee to call you. Would you serve? And us feeling guilty, it's a hard time to say no. And we put ourselves doing stuff for the Lord that is not what He's called us to do. And we're burdened and burned out and we don't like it. And we begin to hate church. Folks, b- church is fun when we get to do what God's called us to do. And you get to do what God calls you to do. And like I say, when you follow your path. exactly run the race marked out for you. And so, but when we do this, we, it, He bears fruit. Now, look at again back at Colossians chapter 1. What is the end result? Verse 11. Actually no, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. And what? Increasing in the knowledge of God. I don't know if he caught this yet or not. But he said, my prayer is that you would know God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that this would cause you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to God, bearing fruit in every good work, and knowing his will even more. See, a lot of us have gotten to points in our life where we think, well, God did this great work in my life and that was the will of God. That's great. But I'm going to ask you a question without trying to make you feel bad, but I'm just going to shoot straight at you. What is God doing through you now? I don't want to hear stories about what God did so many years ago and how awesome that was when God worked. What's he doing in your life now? He's He's opening my dimly eyes. (laughs) He's opening your dimly eyes. For all of us, we hopefully could take the time, and we don't have the time to do that. It'd be a fun thing to do. Because I think you all are growing in that point where you could speak up and say, this is what God's doing in my life right now. You know what would be really cool? Was to hear all the different things that God's doing. Some of you might have similar, some will be totally different, and they're supposed to be. And they're supposed to be. But he says, I'll also, if you walk like this, give you even more of a knowledge of my will. Now, I got good news and bad news. I'm going to give you the bad news first. You can't walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You can't do it. That's not news for some of you. You've been listening to teaching for a while. You remember John fifteen five. Jesus says, "Apart from me, you can do nothing." Oh, the good news is this. Verse eleven. Look at verse eleven again. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance, patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. All right, now, look, the good news is this. The one who, God's the one who's going to empower you to live in a manner worthy of him if you'll let him. And we're not going to take the time to turn there. You've already heard me say Galatians 2.20. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live, I live by faith and the one who died for me. We also know Philippians chapter two verse thirteen, where Paul said, "It is God who works in us to both to will that gives us the desire and to act according to His good purpose." First Thessalonians chapter five verse twenty-three and twenty-four, where the Scripture goes on and says, "May your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless till the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it." Hopefully, you understand this. The bad news isn't news. We can't do this. If you set out here, I'm going to live a life worthy of the Lord. I'm going to walk. I'm going to run. You've already started off wrong. You started on the wrong path. That's the path of the flesh. Do not start off on the path of the flesh. Start off on the path of the spirit that says, Lord, this is what you've asked me to do. I can't do it. But you said you would. And so now I'm going to believe that you will. I'm gonna spend time in your word. I'm gonna let you speak to my heart. I'm gonna let you little by little, this is a walk. Sometimes it's a run. It's a progress in the faith. I'm gonna let you do through me what you wanna do. And believe that he will. And it may be semantics, but you know what, we use that word strive. You know, we just use that word strive. But really what we want is for you to lead. Yes, and, and we need if you're striving, I would say, depending on how you mean it, it's probably not a good thing. Well, let me ask you a question then. All right, let's say tomorrow morning you set out to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you really do believe that God's going to do it. And you step out and you have a bad day. What's going to be your reaction? (laughs) Are you going to quit? Are you going to say a prayer? Yeah. Hey. I'm struggling for your Yeah, exactly. Here's power the whole the thing. The you need to learn how to recognize the difference between the flesh and the spirit. Mm-hmm. That's the big key, is learning how to recognize the difference between the flesh and the spirit. In those times when you have acted, and I, we all act in the flesh, it was kind of uh, scary to be doing a marriage retreat a couple weekends ago up in New Hampshire with my wife, sitting on the front row. And I told the whole group, I said, I asked her to sit here in the front row and smile like everything I'm saying to you is true in our house. <laughs> All the good illustrations of how a marriage should be I only could use her side, you know, to tell the good stuff. I couldn't talk about how awesome I was. It was a real scary thing to do, but there's a big difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. and folks, listen, 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 when the way you'll recognize that you're trying to do it, or Jesus is doing it, it will be peace, joy, patience, gentleness. When you start to get anxious, the flesh is starting to get back in control, Lord Jesus. I yield back to you. When you start to get angry, when you start to get worried, when you start to get frustrated, it's going to happen. Even Paul, who wrote all this stuff, had a we're not talking to each other moment with the Barnabas, didn't he? I love the fact that the Bible shows us we're still going to fail. I love how when Jesus told Peter, who thought he was going gonna deny, would never deny the Lord, he says, I tell you, Peter, call him by his new name. You're actually going to do it three times, but you're, you're good. You're cool. When we have those moments that the flesh takes over, we need to, in those moments, say that was not what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I yield back to you again. If that means I need to go say I'm sorry to somebody. If I need to go ask for forgiveness or whatever it is, Lord, I'll do that. But that's where you begin to practice this process, and He will even use your mess-ups for His glory. No matter what happens, it could always get worse. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in one sense I can see that, that's for sure. But here's what I want you to hear. Did you hear what Allison just pointed out? Even though you don't act in the way that He wants you to, He's so awesome, He can even take that blow up. He knew you were going. Yeah, and he can use it for your purposes. That's just a hard thing for us to grasp. Don't try to think too far down the road for God. Oh, I know what God's doing. You just showed your ignorance if you say that. Because if anything, you know one aspect of one of the things that God's doing. He's doing 10,000 things all at the same time because they all tie together somehow, some way. But just trust him that he will cause it to work for good. But you have to hand it back over to him. Because remember, that promises those who love him and are what? Called according to his purposes. That means you're living your life yielded to what he wants to do in this situation. At the end of the day, Jim, Mm -hmm. he reconciled with us. So even though we screw up and we sit there going, I'm sorry I'm such a hard case, we're still reconciled to him. You're heading right to where we're wrapping up with. You're heading right there. Why does he do this? More than that. Yes, he loves us. I heard someone say it. For his glory. Listen closely. Remember back in John 15, I quoted it to you. This is to my father's glory that you produce fruit. How does God feel about his glory? Oh, Oh, big time. Let me show you a couple of passages real quick. All right. Why does he do this? He does this for his own sake, for his own glory. Because look at what it says in verse 11. And following, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance, patience with joy, giving thanks to the father who, listen, has, past tense, already qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has, past tense, delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us already to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. All right. He's already qualified us. He's already qualified us. This disqualification that Paul was talking about was simply talking about the rewards that are still to come for those who are letting God do what he wants to do through you. You can be a Christian who's been saved, not learn how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, not let the Lord have control. You'll be in heaven. But as 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses six and following says, you're going to be as one who escaped just barely over the flames. He himself will be saved. He will suffer loss. Paul, when he said, I want to be disqualified from the prize, he wasn't saying, I don't want to be disqualified from heaven. He says, I know, what did he say at the end of his life? There is a crown of righteousness stored up for me. I got a rich reward in heaven. And all his life, he didn't want to miss out on anything that would have been his when he gets to heaven in the sense of reward. We have already been moved from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. Listen closely. To not finish what he has already started... And declared would make him look bad. Right? Why Why did God not wipe out the nation of Israel when he said to Moses, when they're in the wilderness disobeying, get out of the way, I'm going to wipe them out, I'm going to kill them, and I'll start over with you. Because Moses said, you know what, you're God and I'm not, but that would make you not look too good. Because everybody's heard about how you... Took this people out of there. And if we all die in the wilderness, they'll think you weren't able to finish what you started. God says, you know me well. Good prayer. I'm not going (laughs) to let them in to the promised land. But I'm not going to kill them. And that's why the Bible actually says in the book of Malachi, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O Israel, are not destroyed. You want to know why the reason why there's a nation of Israel still? It's not because they're the best of all the people. It's because God made a promise. And in Romans chapter 11, verse 29, he says, His gifts and his call are irrevocable. God will finish what he started with the nation of Israel. Everything he promised for Israel will be accomplished in and through and for Israel They're during that time that they've been kind of disciplined for a while. We've been grafted in by his grace during this time. But there comes an end to our time period. He finishes with Israel. And the reason it is, is not because Israel has earned it. But it's because of his glory. Listen to Isaiah 48 real quick. Isaiah 48. We're okay because I promise you 805. Isaiah 48. Look at verses 9 through 11. He's speaking to the nation of Israel here, but it shows you the heart of God. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Go to Jude, verses 24 and 25. Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him, I want you to see this, Jude 24 and 25. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. What did Paul say in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6? He says, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began this good work in you will finish it. Now folks, God gets to finish it however he chooses. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. They're in heaven. I believe the Bible teaches that they're in heaven. But for his purposes, For his glory, he chose to show how serious he deals with sin, how serious sin is to him. And because of their lying right there at the beginning of the church age, he took them right then. Now, does God take everybody that lies? Thank God, no. Right? Right? Well, here's the deal, though. We'll we, we miss out on etern- a reward. We'll suffer loss. We've got to take that serious. Here's the thing I want you to understand. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 9, verses 22 and following? He says, what if, listen closely, what if God chose some to be destined to hell to show his judgment and his righteousness and his wrath? What if God chose some to go to heaven to show his mercy and his grace and his goodness? Paul never says that that's what he's done. There are some people that have tried to twist that passage and say God's chosen some for hell and some for heaven. No, no. Paul says, what if he did? In other words, our attitude should be, we're the clay, he's the potter. When, since when does the clay get to say to the potter, why did you do this? God sometimes, for his purposes and his glory, will do something in someone's life to show his glory through them. Other times he'll do a totally different thing in somebody else's life to show another aspect of his glory god wants to show his glory through you don't let any preacher tell you that it's all going to look the same for each of us for some it is a hard road of this is how you're going to die peter what about john what if i want him to remain alive until i return what's that to you and one of the problems is not only have we in america preached You got me preaching this other message already. Well, not only we in America have already preached that everybody should be bigger and better and greater and more. But we've also taught that the Christian life is going to look very similar. And for some of you, he's chosen a harder life in this life to show off his glory through how you respond than somebody else. But what do we do in those situations? We look around at everybody else's life and we say, how come they still have their spouse? How come they have their health? How come I'm and we have been falling prey to this false doctrine of health and wealth that has crept even to the churches that don't believe in the health and wealth doctrine. To the point that we're measuring how our life looks compared to everybody else. And Jesus says, I don't want you to do that. I want to display my glory through you. He never compares each one. He actually tells us the summer five, summer two, summer one, so we won't compare. And so I want to just challenge you to really understand this. He will finish what he started in your life because he has already qualified you through Jesus Christ. And he's already moved you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so he's already, doesn't the Bible say in Ephesians 2 6 that we're already seated in the heavenly realms? So if he's already displaying us as his work, guess what? He really cares about his glory. He cares about his glory. He will finish what he started. How did Jesus say it to Paul? (laughs) He said, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I've already got a plan for your life. You can either let me do it or you could be miserable. (laughs) Your choice. choice. Go ahead. Yes. We need the people to pray for us continually, just like Paul was. Folks, that's some of you. Some of you have just been wired by God to pray. Some of you aren't even able to travel as much or do as much or get out as much, but you have a relationship with the Lord where He puts people on your heart or there are people that just write. It was so cool. I got to speak to a group at First Baptist Merritt Island and I'm going to let you go with this. I got to speak at a group at First Baptist Merritt Island on Thursday of, I think it was last week. I lost track. I flew in from Dallas on Wednesday, preached Thursday, flew to New Hampshire on Friday. So it was Thursday of two weeks ago. But this group was actually an older group. I mean we're talking, the young people were in their high 70s serious. And they started off their meeting by reading the names of all the missionaries to pray for this month. And I thought to myself, God is so awesome. He uses the people with the worst memories (laughs) to remember people to pray for. Isn't that cool? But they had written them down and they had their names printed all out and they prayed for these people. And I thought, man, here's a group of people that can't do a whole lot else because of their health. And even their memories are gone. But God's using them to remember others. He's displaying his glory through them. I'm not here to tell you what it's going to look like, what it should be. You shouldn't try to be like somebody else or be like somebody else. When Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, he wasn't saying be like me. He was simply saying, I'm following Christ. You follow Christ. And so, folks, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. I hope you learn to rest and receive his rest. And just be who it is God wants you to be, even if it looks like a duke with a turned-up mustache now. And I thank God he didn't call me to look like that. Because I look in the mirror at least once a day, at least once a day. Let's pray together. Father... I thank you for the fact that you love us and that you have an awesome plan for each of us. And Lord, even for those of us who have been called to live a life like Corey Ten Boom did. We, for years now, have been singing your praises for the glory that you have gotten because of what you did in her heart. How she didn't want to forgive. She didn't want to let go of the hatred and the anger, yet you did a work in her for your glory. Lord, there are others who aren't called to that type of life. But you have a desire to glorify yourself through them as well. Lord, let us each run the race marked out for us. May we walk. Well, you've promised that you'll let us walk and not grow weary and we run and not faint. As we what? Wait upon you, which means rely on you and your strength, believing that you will do in and through us what you want. And Lord, forgive us for comparing. We've spent our whole life in this world, especially in America, looking at magazine covers and TV shows, comparing waistlines and body shapes and bank accounts and automobiles and houses and my kids and honors student bumper stickers. (laughs) Father, this whole world has been designed to measure and compare and compete. And you say to us, real joy and peace and rest comes when you find the life I have for you. Lord, I thank you that I'm getting there. I pray that for my kids. I pray that for my wife. I pray that for the folks here that we wouldn't think, well, it's not like so-and-so's life. You never asked us to do that. And you've said so many times in the word just to follow you. Lord, many of us have wrestled over the years with that baby that was born to David and Bathsheba and how he lived only about a year. And many think, well, what did that kid do deserve to be put to death by God at such an early age? He didn't do anything that yet, Lord, I'm coming to realize now you accomplished so much through that child's life in just a year. You used that child to turn around the heart of the king of Israel. And that child's in your presence and be ritually rewarded because you accomplished in that child's life what you wanted to accomplish. And Father, I know Ananias and Fire are worshiping you right now because of their death. Because they now understand that even though they sinned, you were able to get glory. Through what you did in their life to bring great fear on the church that was a holy and a reverent fear and a righteous fear. That God's God and he gets to do things how he wants. So Lord. May we enjoy the life you have for each of us, even if it's not what we thought it was going to look like this Christmas. May we rest in the fact that because of what you've already done through Jesus, you will prove. You've already proven it, but you'll do it again and again if we just trust you. That we're pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.